With another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 323, aka Year 7, Week 21, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC and KS. And since we do this on Clubhouse now, we are still not able to do uh, our own clubs. So follow me at Riches for Rich, R I C H E S, the number four, R I C H for now. And then you will get the notification when I set up a room to do this show and you can join us uh, accordingly. Uh, typically, um, I don't know what the UTC is at this point, but it's, you know, we typically start around 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturdays, Saturday afternoons for me, uh, 10 a.m. Hawaii time for you guys at the moment. So that's that's around the time you would get that notification again at Clubhouse uh, or at Riches for Rich on Clubhouse. So speaking of which, right, I'm a little I'm a little miffed at clubhouse. Cause I don't know how these invites or any of this BS stuff works. Um, but like someone invited me, I guess it, it was an invite from, I think UMC, uh, and no big deal. I got in, but when I go to like, uh, like my personal profile, it's like nominated by someone else entirely. And I go, how the hell did that <laughs> happen? Right. Um, and also I don't have any invites. Right. And then I have a buddy in another telegram group that I'm in going like, Hey, I've got clubhouse invites, you know, if anybody wants any, uh, and, and so I go, Hey M you've been asking for this clubhouse invite. Uh, why don't you, you know, let me get with this guy and have him, you know, send you an invite. So she gets an invite has no followers is following nobody, but has been gifted five invites of her own to pass out. I'm like, I'm jealous. Where are my invites? Like I have zero and have zero, you know, have had zero from the beginning. And she's just starts off with five for doing nothing. Like, you know, so <laughs> what a rip off. <laughs> what a rip off. That's what I'm saying. And, and uh, this, this just as an aside, right. Who, whoever, whoever like gave me that invite to, to have me nominated by this third party. Right. I'm not a big fan of this third party individual. Like she was, she was like, for the for on our wedding list, it was like, well, can we invite this person? I'm like, no, not at all. I don't like them at all. <laughs> and now every time I look at my fucking clubhouse profile, I have to see that I've been nominated by them. Uh, you know, so like, do I change? Do I change my profile? Do I change my number? You know, to to get a, get a fresh start with this? And no, no. But it's you know, it's a little it's a little weird and a little odd. All right, I'm done ranting on that. How are you guys doing? Uh, excellent. All right. Cass, you doing okay over there? Good, good, good. Mute, unmute, quick. Troubles. Uh, I'm putting this uh, mute button on, but I, I you know, I, I don't need to if it's not. Uh, let me know if I need to put on the mute button. Okay. I mean, it, I'm going to leave it up to you. I just wanted to see how you were doing. All right. Shall we get into headlines? Is this, is this how we're doing it today? Nothing important for you guys? Uh, sure. Sounds okay. Great. I'll, I'll yeah. rant about one more thing real quick then, because um, not... Uh, what this this is show three twenty three, show three twenty five, uh, is going to be an interesting one perhaps, 
uh, because it will, for the first time in a long, long time, uh, be the, the one of the first shows where we're all like in the same room at the same time. Because I unfortunately have to make the trek back uh, to the Socialist Republic of Hawaii uh, for a family <laughs> emergency, family situation type of thing. Um, and I'm I'm so not pleased with the whole like COVID process that if it weren't a family issue, I would just as soon not go. Like I think I I don't know if I've said this on air or told you guys, but like I I talked to my mom on Mother's Day and I talked to her recently as well. But I talked to her on Mother's Day, uh, and you know she asked me so like when are you coming home? And my answer at that time, and I meant it at that time, was never. Like not with <laughs> not with this BS going on. Like I have no reason to be there, uh, so I am not going. Um, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know the headline in the newspaper today is. Oahu makes the leap to tier four nightclubs and indoor events will be allowed to operate at 50% capacity. That was part of the BS, right? I said, not until Hawaii gets rid of this, uh, you know, bullshit tier system. And, and my mom at the time goes, Oh no, they're thinking about adding tier five where everything is just as open as can be. And I, at the time I went, all right, that's all I need to hear. I'm never coming back. Right. Because because I what I can't what cannot happen uh, is that I come to for a short visit and I get stuck there because they move to tier one or tier two and they shut down travel. Right. Like I, you know, and and because it's on a tier system and it's being allowed. Right. Like I don't I don't know what the local resistance is, but, you know, I'm not you know, I'm not here to call people out on that. But because it's being allowed, uh like they can do it on a whim, right? It's, it's, it's now the, the tier system is now the, how do I want to phrase this? The people and the businesses of Hawaii now operate at the pleasure of the governor, right? Like at any minute he can go like tier one and everything shuts down again. And like, and it's just like, ah, no, we, the data is in the science is in. We're back to tier one too many people. And then I get stuck and I, I can't have, fucking have that. Um, so my response, well, it, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I'm just saying, you know, remember the roots of Hawaii. I mean, today or yesterday, I guess, was also Kamehameha Day, where they celebrate the guy who slaughtered thousands to uh, to become the ruler. And they celebrate that. They have a parade in Kamehameha Day saying what a great guy he was. I mean, that's the hero. Unified the, the islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slaughter. Yeah. Mass murder gets you statues and tributes and parades and holidays. You know, but that is not that is not unique uh, to Hawaiian culture, though, right? Of, that, of course, that's that's who gets statues everywhere around the world. Unfortunately, uh, it just so happens it's the closest one to us because you know we we having been local there for my whole life, uh, you you know you you become aware of that history more so than you know people elsewhere. But they, they, you know, like the people in the South, they have their own local history. You know, tear down those statues, right? That's the difference, right? Southerners like tear down those statues, you know, glorifying the Confederacy. And Hawaii's like, I'll praise the guy who slaughtered millions or hundreds of thousands or however many Hawaiians were at the time. Yeah. 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 So part of it is cultural. Also an interesting aspect of that is that if you should say that publicly, you might as well, you know, leave the island because... You know, uh, I think the retribution could be very, very severe. Oh yeah, uh, from the whole community. I, I was thinking about how my school might react. 
I mean, I make a, a comment like that in class, but it's even very, very cautious. I mean, if I, uh, if I said something like that um, publicly in the newspapers, I don't, I, you know, I believe that it was something like that that caused the previous dean to be fired because he had said something that was uh, insensitive to the local culture, and uh, and that would be, you know, the the kind, the way Hawaii is. They they. Uh, well, I suppose the South was like that with regard to their their Confederate heroes too, and and the North is towards Lincoln. Who's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's, but yeah. except except what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, at least with a lot of those in the South right now, right? There is a movement to tear down those statues and maybe not forget the history. Like you know, the Southerners like this is our history and we're proud of our history. And it's like well. You can you can not you can you can understand the history and not glorify the history, um, and I I don't I don't know if I agree with it. Perhaps I don't even know if I want to get into an argument about it, but I think the removal of the statues, as you know, at the request of the people, um, is is a movement towards deglorifying those actions, um, and I think it's you know a, a straw man kind of an argument to say that it's about forgetting your history. Oh yeah. You're you're right. I think that it's uh, the end of glorification. That it doesn't erase the, uh, right. things from the. T- but there's so much missing from the textbooks. There was an article just by Freeman Magazine just this last uh, week about um, the the horrors of uh, the Wilson administration during World War One. How he persecuted anyone who who challenged his uh, actions. I mean, what an arrogant sob to say elect me because and, and I'll champion liberty and as soon as he gets elected he becomes uh, uh, a horrible tyrant and yet he's revered in the textbooks and I so I yeah it it's something that needs to be challenged piecemeal uh, on all of these icons absolutely so back to my original uh, story you know uh, we can we can continue this this discussion, but back to my original story of like, so I'm not, I have no business in Hawaii basically for, for a number of reasons. Um, mostly due to, you know, the, the, the COVID lockdowns, the existing now at the pleasure of the governor. And, you know, because they glorify this sort of behavior, I don't see much resistance. Uh, and my ears not too close to the pavement, but I don't, I don't see, I don't hear too much resistance coming from the vast majority of people on the Island. Um, you know, they're, they're more willing to tolerate this nonsense than anything else at the moment. So I'm like, I don't want to go back. Uh, but unfortunately I have to. And in order to, in order to come back because it's a family emergency, right? I have to make certain concessions that I would not ordinarily make for any other kind of trip. Right. So like I had no, I had no, um, intention on ever getting COVID tested. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure I had it. I survived it. Whoo, you know, I'm done. I just move on with life. Um, but now in order to, in order to land in Hawaii, right, I got I to gotta show up with a negative COVID test within 72 hours. And even, like, I listened to a tech show. Um, and even that show, right, like, they're pro-vaccine, pro, you know, pro-state, pro-government, pro-everything pro that I'm anti, but I listen because it's a tech show. And they're like, oh yeah, people in California like landed in Hawaii and they didn't have the, the negative COVID test from the right pharmacy 
So they were forced yeah. to like fly back to California at their, at their expense, get tested in California. And then, then they were able to fly back and land in Hawaii. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like I may land and get arrested at this point, which, you know, serves no purpose uh, at all. So I have to go get this, you know, goofy, goofy test. Um, the pharmacies that we're looking into, like apparently we're flying on the wrong day because they're, they're not able to like guarantee the results in that 72 hour window. Apparently is, can they do it? Yeah. Would they, will they do it? Probably. But you know, we're going to, we might end up boarding a plane and not having test results yet. Then what? Well, then we got a quarantine. Um, and you were kind of telling me that they're not actually doing this MC, but it's not, I, it's not a conspiracy theory because even in the discussion with M right, I go, no, they're doing this. This is like part of the rules. And she was able to like find whatever the rules are and verify this. But like, if you show up without a negative COVID test, you have to quarantine. And part of the quarantine is allegedly, I'll say allegedly, because it, you know, I, I haven't seen it firsthand, uh, but I have heard stories that you have to like put an app on your phone for them to track you. Right. And you have to like show up and you're like, here, what's your phone number? And then they call you to make sure that you can be reached at whatever time. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want some fucking government app on my phone to track me whenever. And you know, like who knows how easy that's going to be to delete later. Right. So now I got to go like get a burner phone, like, you know, a $20 flip phone or whatever, and start activate a new phone number just for this trip specifically. So that when they go like, oh, we're going to put the app on your phone. I, go, I don't have the kind of phone that you put an app on. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> turn me around. Like where it's show me the law for that one. Right. Um, and, and we have to, uh, apparently we have to like register some sort of information with like the state of Hawaii department of health nonsense. Um, and like, they're like, Oh, we, we need your personal information. So we're like, we need an email address from you. So now I got to go get a fake phone number to give them. Right. And I got to create a fake email address to give them. And you're going to love this, Ken uh, MC like this when I told him b- before we hit the record button here. So I went out and created like a brand new email address just to give the state of Hawaii health department. You want to, <laughs> you want to know what my new email address is? Yeah. Hawaii COVID rules are fucking bullshit at protonmail.com. <laughs> so if anybody listening to this wants to send me email, I'll reply to it just so you, just so you're verified that this email is actually <laughs> up and running and in existence. Hawaii COVID rules are fucking bullshit at protonmail.com. And that's all spelled out. There's no numbers in there. Just, you know, all spelled out. Um, when I created it, I capitalized, you know, big words, just so I, I could see that I was I was doing it all correctly. So Hawaii COVID rules are fucking bullshit at protonmail.com. Just, so there it is. Hawaii COVID rules, rules are, are fucking bullshit. Spelled fucking out. Yep. Bullshit. At protonmail.com. Oh, at protonmail.com. Yeah. Are you okay, going to email uh, me? Do you want me to reply? I can log in and reply. And just- I'm going to send a message to you. Uh, uh, cheers. <laughs> see if it see if it works. Okay, no, it'll good, work. Good. It'll work because I, I, yeah. I, you know, because Mahe is going to be filling out all this stuff for me. Um, I, I, I sent her like an email from this email address to make sure that she got it. So we, I know it works like it's, it's valid and it's in there. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what I'm looking forward to just to come hang out with you guys for a few hours on, you know, on that Saturday. Good times. Great. <laughs> All right. 
Now that I've got that off my chest. Shall we do headlines? Is it time for headlines? Sure. All right. Headline, border surge sends prices soaring. Smugglers can now earn $200,000. Cartel smugglers on track for biggest payday in history. A headline, let immigrants take the jobs American workers don't want. So those two kind of go hand in hand, right? You smuggle them in and then they go, I got to get them out of here. They're taking our jobs that no one wants to do. Uh, This one's fun. I don't know how this even works. Uh, Nevada bans grass to battle droughts. Outlaws 31% of Las Vegas turf as non-functional. And I, I, we don't have to, we, we can get into the story if we get there, but I just want to highlight one thing real quick. Um, there were other stories out of like Michigan or whatever, I think it was Michigan, where rather than grass, um, uh, homeowners were planting gardens in their yard because that's actually functional, right? And they were fined by the state for not having grass. <laughs> so just just to highlight, you know, the the dichotomy from one state to the other, and also um, the irrelevance of government, you know, uh, uh, rules and regulations, and how stupid they are. All right, headline: Why corporate lobbyists and special interest groups won't go away. Uh, headline, the FBI secretly ran an encrypted messaging service to conduct the same old drug war stings. Uh, headline, the super rich bought up this Idaho town and regular folks may now have to live in tents. Uh, I want to highlight this one as well very briefly, so I might move this one up a little bit. Uh, because I think this is like the third article this year that I found of a group of people purchasing land uh, in an area to do their own thing, right? Like this seems to be like a mini movement, I guess. Um, there was a, one in Alaska. What is the one we did um, last week? It was like, you know, Idaho or whatever. Um, was it Idaho? I don't remember. Oh, this one is Idaho. I forget what the other one is because it's a different story. This is like the super rich buying a town. The other one was people buying property uh, to set up their, maybe it was Oregon, to set up their um, little uh, new Ruby Ridge action it was last week. Uh, headline, don't try to fix big tech with politics. Headline, will treason mania destroy America? Headline, the criminalization of dissent. Uh, headline, why we, should we, excuse me, should we recognize hate crimes? And finally, headline, Russian man arrested after killing two Sochi bailiffs following a court order to demolish his illegally, illegally constructed buildings. Uh, any any one of those in particular jumped out for either of you guys or just I want to hear about the apps on the phones by the FBI. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do that then. The FBI secretly ran an encrypted messaging service to conduct the same old drug war sting uh, from reason. Is your encrypted messaging being monitored by the FBI? Newly unsealed court documents show that the federal law enforcement agency for years ran an encrypted communication service called ANOM, like, like you know, A-N-O-M, ANOM. The FBI opened a new covert operation, Operation Trojan Shield, which centered on exploiting ANOM by inserting it into criminal networks and working with international partners, including the Australian Federal Police, AFP, to monitor the communications, reads a May 18th affidavit filed by FBI Special Agent Nicholas Chevron. The FBI, AFP, and their developer source built a master key into the existing encryption system, which surreptitiously attaches to each message 
and enables law enforcement to decrypt and store the message as it is transmitted. Starting in 2018, the FBI collected encrypted messages of all of the users of Anoms, with a few exceptions. Uh, example, the, the messages of approximately 15 Anoms users in the U.S. sent to any other Anom devices are not reviewed by the FBI, it says. Since October 2019, the FBI has cataloged more than 20 million messages from a total of 11,800 devices, with approximately 9,000 active devices currently located in over 90 countries. Most of this monitoring seems to have been in service of sniffing out drugs. In the affidavits, small but representative sample of the criminal's content reviewed, all messages were related to cocaine or narcotics. Authorities began announcing the result of the operation, including 700 houses searched and more than 800 arrests at a Tuesday morning press conference in The Hague. Calvin Shivers of the FBI called it a shining example of what can be accomplished when international law enforcement partners from around the world work together and develop state-of-the-art investigative tools to detect, disrupt, and dismantle transnational criminal organizations. Jean-Philippe Lacouf, deputy director for the operations of Europol, said the Anam operation was one of the largest and most sophisticated law enforcement operations to date in the fight against encrypted criminal activities. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said it struck a heavy blow against organized crime around the world. But for a global spy enterprise, which seemingly unprecedented to criminal communication spanning tens of millions of messages on thousands of devices reviewed by more than 9,000 cops in 16 countries, uh, the results actually seem rather lackluster. Internationally, the operation seized 250 guns, 55 cars, and 48 million in cash and cryptocurrency, plus 22 tons of marijuana and marijuana resin, 8 tons of cocaine, and 2 tons of methamphetamine and amphetamine. Basically, it was a big old drug war bonanza dressed up in a fancy tech tools. Um, I wonder if they caught if if it cost them more than the value of, of the product that they yeah. intercepted or or um, I don't know. Eight tons uh, tons of cocaine is probably pretty expensive. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> yeah. the end of the article. So yeah, for, I don't, for, for, I don't know if it was comment, right. Go ahead. I'm not sure that was right. Eight tons of cocaine. Uh, that's that's what it said. I mean, that, I think that's the the point that they're making is it's lackluster. Like the, the 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 page that I'm reading goes on, but it looks like different articles. So I think that's the end of this one. Um, where did it say twenty two tons of marijuana and marijuana resin? Yeah, eight tons of cocaine. That's what the article says, and only two tons of methamphetamine and amphetamines. So well, it's not, it's not lackluster. That's that's a pretty big hole. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Well, for, for the amount of time that they put into this, right? I think that's part of the, part of it. Well, as, as with all, an in, international uh, bust only got eight tons of cocaine. When they when they take product off the market, of course, it raises the price of the product in the black market, so that probably there's a, now a, a greater incentive for people to enter into the business that way. Sure. Mm. Um. The other interesting point about this was th- they were only able to get people who have who have chosen to use uh, this app that they created, Anom. So if, if mm-hmm. you were not using this app for whatever reason, right, then and you were using secured encrypted communication, it's not like they broke all encryption. Um, they just broke it for this specific app. Um, 
So if you, you know, does that raise the question that perhaps the others are compromised too, or that people will now be suspicious of all of them and and uh, just stop using this form of communication? It could I, have that chilling effect. Absolutely. Um, the two the two big apps that I use with um, friends and you know other people here in New Hampshire is Signal and Telegram, and depending on who you ask, right, one is better than the other, which is why I use both because I have friends that won't use one and other friends that won't use the other, uh, and I'm the I'm the middle compromise that goes and fuck it I'll just put both on my phone like I don't care. Um, well, is it is it possible that those two have also been compromised you know i mean so uh, to to answer to answer your question it is it is possible however unlikely uh especially with signal because the signal protocol is open sourced and what that means is anyone can access and read through the source code of the app and if you were a programmer theoretically you would be able to see in the code if a, if a backdoor was present or not. Now, mm. as a user of the app, you know, for, you know, encrypted purposes, right? I'm not a programmer. I have never looked at the source code. I put my trust in the nerds, right? I go, well, this must be secure because if there were a backdoor, one of the nerds would have found it and would have told us so, right? Mm. Um, so having it be open source, uh, allays some of those concerns. And I believe that telegram is like certain parts of it is open source. Like you, I don't, I don't, I, I think the, the app, the app itself is open source. Uh, but the encryption that the app uses is proprietary encryption. So there's, there's some people, um, who are concerned about that when it comes to telegram. Um, the other concern with telegram for some people is, um, the app itself is the, the app itself is um, not set to encrypt messages by default, right? It serves like it serves a different purpose than Signal when it comes to that aspect of it. So it's it's Telegram is more for like group messaging, um, and you know, it's, it's, so it's not peer to peer encrypted. Um, so some people mention that, right? Like, well, you you have to turn it on if you're going, you know, if you want to have encrypted messages peer to peer. And go, well, yeah, well, then turn it on, right? Like, you know, it's not that hard. It's just not set by default, whereas I believe Signal is set by default um, so that there's, you know, that added level of security. If, if people aren't going to mess with settings, uh, Signal by itself is a, a better way to, to take care of that. But if, is there a backdoor? Uh, the working theory is currently No. Uh, because theoretically someone would have seen it um, and no one has said anything about it at the, at the time. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as the authorities say, well, if, why should you be concerned if you have nothing to hide, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Well, that works both ways, man. Cause if they have nothing to hide, then it should be a lot easier, you know, to, to get the, uh, what is it, the, the freedom of information act request or, you know, the, the lorries list for police officers, bad police officers, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have nothing to hide, you know, there, there I saw a, a meme, um, you know, it was, you know, a police officer now suspended for his, like, 71st case of using excessive force, right? Still on the job, you know, 
but 70, 71 times. And they were, you know, the, the, the meme itself combined it, um, to, um, to like, you know, the McDonald's worker, right? Like McDonald's worker sent uh, suspended for the 71st time of like shitting in the ice cream machine. Right. <laughs> like, no, he's fired after the first one. Right. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't get a second chance at this man. Um, <laughs> but somehow the cops do. And not only do they, uh, you know, they get, they get, t- you know, chance after chance after chance. And because those records are, uh, hidden from the public, um, that, you know, the public doesn't have access to that secret list of bad cops. Right. Um, because if, if a cop has been accused and found guilty in his, you know, his own department, right. Of fabricating evidence, right. Then anytime you're accused of him by something, you should be able to bring that up and go like, he, he has no credibility here. Right. He has been he has been found, you know, guilty uh, or negligent or whatever of fabricating evidence in the past. There's no way you can believe what he's saying, even though he's testifying under oath on the stand at your trial. Um, So they hide that information. Right. Because obviously they've done something wrong and obviously they have stuff to hide. Um, And that, you know, under that working theory. Right. That should be the default. If you're hiding it, it's because you have something to hide and therefore you lose all credibility and, you know case dismissed as it were but no that's that's you know that's how they do it any other thoughts on this article no all right did you get what you wanted out of this one mc because you this is the one that you said to uh, you wanted to hear about was there were you concerned about telegram signal or any other apps did you have a nom downloaded and doing anything uh, on no that? i i just thought it was interesting uh how they were doing that and uh i just wanted to hear about it. that's all Okay. I think uh, one other point then on this article before we move on, um, what, what this might be used for, and this is conjecture on my part, uh, is they might use this as evidence that all other apps, right? All other operating systems need this back door for the government, right? And they've been pushing for this on Android. They've been pushing for this on Apple devices for years now, saying that law enforcement needs to be able to access encrypted devices, Right. And if they can, if they can push this forward and say like, look, this is these are the criminals that we can catch when we have access to encrypted, you know, chatter, right? Twenty two tons of marijuana, eight tons of cocaine, two tons of methamphetamine, et cetera. Um, then they could, you know, use that to pass a law saying that all devices, you know, may have a may, must must have a backdoor um, breaking the encryption for law enforcement, you know, purposes, right? Um, the biggest problem with that, of course, is if they break encryption, encryption for law enforcement, they break encryption for everybody, and then it's just a world of unsecured devices. Um, so they get a lot of pushback on that, but I think this could then be used as evidence to assist their case moving forward, and you might see more problems with you know, devices and the law when it, as it relates to technology uh, moving forward. Right on. Yep. All right. Any other ones jump out at you? Uh, that Idaho town. Oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. So again, I don't, I don't remember the other ones that we've done, but the, this seems to be a mini movement of people buying up towns, and I support it. Right? If you can, if you can afford the town, by all means, buy it. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, leave me alone. The super rich bought up this Idaho town, and regular folks now may have to live in tents. Go ahead, Cass. Well, of course, buying a town implies that you're buying it from somebody who owns it. And I thought that towns still were guided by the 
sort of, uh, you know, a city council is elected by the general population and they can't do anything without this, the population. Well, at any rate, so I'll hear the story and then we'll comment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this story might be a little different from the others. The reason I said, I think it's a movement is because there was a story in Alaska several, a couple of months ago, um, where a guy bought the, bought land, right. It was like a, a black supremacist group bought some land or something and they were going to you know, move that and set up base as like, you know, Black Lives Matter type of thing. And if, if I'm getting that wrong, because I don't remember the facts from two, three months ago, sue me, uh, but also correct me. Like, let me know what I'm getting, because I'm kind of, I'm spitting that from memory. Um, and the other one that we did a couple of weeks ago was like a comedian buying up land somewhere. It, I, I thought it was Idaho, could have been Oregon. I don't remember what what city or town it was, but he was buying up a whole bunch of land. And the concern um, with with the article last week was that it would turn into a uh, like a new Ruby Ridge situation, right? Because you know they're they're supremacists of another kind moving into that particular area to do whatever it is that they want to do there, um, and so that you know the the townsfolk were concerned um, about that. Let me see if I can find that article as I'm scrolling up here from last week's. Give me one second here. Neighbors fear bear-themed compound will be the next Ruby Ridge. So an alt-right comedian's plan for a remote, yeah, more remote patch of land in Idaho. So that also in Idaho. Uh, this was from last. This is we we did that I think last week, or at least you know it was it was in the show prep for last week. So I so what I'm saying is there's there seems to be people buying up plots of land to you know do a specific thing on it. And when I see this article, the super rich bought up this Idaho town. I go, oh, they're just doing the same thing. Instead of buying, you know, one plot of land uh, because they're rich, they bought several. Um, so here's now let's do this article. Affordable housing in Ketchum, the Idaho resort community adjacent to billionaire and celebrity playground Sun Valley has been a problem for decades. But the situation is becoming so dire in the wake of COVID-19 that city officials are considering an unusual range of quick fixes, including building tent cities and RV parks for the common folk in the ultra-rich mountain town where the median home listing price is hovering above $900,000. Residents and housing activists say their friends and neighbors, some of whose families have lived in Ketchum for generations, are being priced out as landlords sell buildings to well-heeled buyers and out-of-town investors. The problem is exacerbated, they say, by property owners renting homes for a bigger profit on site like Airbnb to short-term remote employees escaping Silicon Valley and big cities. There's a joke going around. You either have three houses in Ketchum or three jobs, says Chris Gilarowski, a hospitality worker and father of two who recently launched a Facebook group titled Occupy Ketchum Town Square to address the housing crisis. And those losing homes and apartments aren't just service industry workers, but teachers, nurses, and other professionals who are fast becoming the hidden homeless in the picturesque city of roughly 2,800 people. I think the people who have three jobs don't have time to write a letter to the editor or go to a city council meeting, Gilaroski told the Daily Beast. It got me thinking that you need to get these people involved because if they don't come out, a solution won't happen. A local uh, TV station, KTV, KTV, KTVB, excuse me, reported some temporary housing solutions Weighed by city officials include a plan to allow Ketchum's nurses, teachers, and service workers to sleep in tents in the city parks as rent and housing costs continue to soar out of their grasp. 
The discussion comes at a time when one developer is seeking approval for an affordable housing complex downtown called Bluebird Village, but facing backlash from residents who claim the buildings will be an eyesore and absorb valuable parking spaces. They also follow another developer's $9 million sale of affordable apartment buildings called Ketch, K-E-T-C-H, all caps, leaving residents unable to pay new rates imposed by the new landlords. At a recent council, city council meeting, one Ketch resident said the new owners increased rent by 50 or 60%. He wants me paying $1,700 for 425 square feet. It's insane. It shouldn't have happened, the woman said. Uh, one of the biggest opposition to Bluebird and any affordable housing really was aesthetics. Uh, Reed Stillman, a mayoral candidate who works in ad- advertising and is scrambling to find rental housing himself, told the Daily Beast, that is so embarrassing when we're dealing with human lives. We have this older generation worried about the look and color of the brick of the building, Stillman added. Uh, what they don't understand is these are the people that serve them food, sell them clothes, bag their groceries, and you're not allowing them to have affordable places to live because you're worried about the color of brick in town. Meanwhile, Gilarowski said he's heard from long-term residents who received notices of rent hikes anywhere from 600 to 1500 and one well-paid hospital worker lived in his car for three weeks because he couldn't find a place to live. Gilarowski shared another horror story at a special city council meeting last month to address the crisis. A couple was living in a tent in Sawtooth National Forest for 94 days through January before they found affordable housing. I do support the city of Ketchum opening up some public spaces so people could temporarily park an RV, pitch a tent, because then we can't hide from these people, Gilarowski said at the meeting. There are the people who work at your school. These are the people that work at your local businesses. These are the people that serve you. I know some of you put up your $8 million house, but you don't have compassion for working class people. You say you're for community housing, but not this project, not that project. In an interview with the Daily Beast, Glorowski alluded to the wealth infused by Ketchum and neighboring Sun Valley, including Allen & Co.'s annual media conference, sometimes referred to as a summer camp for billionaires. This year, the guest list included Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Amazon mogul Jeff Bezos. There's so much wealth here that it's kind of embarrassing to hear that people, families decide to live for 94 days in a national forest hidden, Gilarowski said. Uh, Ketchum Mayor Neil Bradshaw raised a variety of possible solutions to the housing crisis at the city council meeting, using city funds to rent hotel rooms for the summer and encouraging local residents to rent out spare rooms. He also floated using public lands, including parks or parking lots for temporary tent sites or RV parking. Bradshaw said Ketchum's Rotary Park could house a number of tents, has public restrooms, and was across from YMCA, which has showers. It would require a certain level of qualification to stay there, so the people would have to show they are working for a local business and contributing to our economy in a certain way. It wouldn't just be for road trippers passing through Ketchum, Bradshaw told the crowd. But Stillman blamed Bradshaw and city officials for not acting sooner and called the tent city for nurses and teachers a joke. We have homeless people still encountered at the meeting. They may not be on the streets and you may not see them, which is good for you and good for business, but they're living on couches. They're in our friends' houses. They're in tents up north. They're camping down south to do anything they can to get work here in town. We're not just talking waitresses and waiters, Stillman added. We're talking nurses and medical supply people, teachers. My best friend works at Montessori School. He's a teacher. He has nowhere else to live. Stillman said his own landlord sold his apartment building and he must be out by September. I make good money and I still can't find a place, Stillman said. So it's not just affecting one income level. To live in a tent in Rotary Park is a joke, especially for people who need Wi-Fi, have to work and have to make a living. That's a joke. 
Not only am I going to be homeless with a good job September 1st, but my friends who are in the service industry who don't make a lot of money, they can't pay $2,900 a month for a two-bedroom in Ketchum. This isn't San Francisco, Neil Stillman fumed. In an interview on Monday, Stillman told us Ketchum suffers uh, from a disconnect among the city's classes, a situation that stymies action on workforce housing. He said there's everyday permanent residents who have three or four jobs just to live in the city, second homers who travel in for vacation, and extremely wealthy people who own a house in Ketchum in which they visit only a week or so out of the year. Not everyone has a seat at the table, Stillman said. I feel our current leaders caters to a certain population, and there's not an open line of communication with long-term residents. Bradshaw told the Daily Beast that the tent housing was only one idea suggested during a community workshop that bristled at the Daily Beast and local media playing up the specter of tent cities. He said Ketchum city planners are also looking into whether elderly homeowners could rent out rooms in their homes in exchange for tenants helping with yard work or other chores and into altering city codes to allow RVs on private property or using federal funds for rental assistance. The mayor said newer, wealthier residents who fled cities for mountain ski towns during the coronavirus pandemic put pressure on Ketchum's already limited housing market, driving up rental prices as much as 50%. We're a small town, Bradshaw said. We have seen over the last year an influx of people moving to our town due to COVID. COVID has taken what probably is going to happen in 15 years and accelerated it into 15 months. COVID has been the catalyst to amplifying our housing situation, said Bradshaw, who, like others interviewed for this story, noted that for dozens and dozens of health-wanted ads in local press, there's only a handful of rental advertisements. This is so complicated and so nuanced, and it's happening around the country. It's not just us, the American said, uh, continued. Like, just like we were during COVID because we had the highest density of COVID cases per capita at one point, we're having our little moment of fame here with this idea of affordable housing. But we're a microcosm of what's happening around the country. The city's hands are tied. Bradshaw said, because its taxing authority is limited. Other hotspots for the uber-rich like Aspen, Colorado, for example, enjoy a real estate transfer tax that Idaho lacks, and it's unable to limit Airbnb, VRBO, and other short-term rentals because of a 2017 state law. We have a very wealthy population, and most of them are very supportive of affordable housing, although, you know, always wanting something else that's maybe not quite in their backyard, Bradshaw said. In recent months, a retired doctor named Gary Hoffman parked a trailer throughout Ketchum and covered it in a massive sign that declared what the one percenters ignore. Affordable housing has always been the lifeblood of a vibrant community. A town dies when its most productive people can't afford to live in it. Hoffman's banner also demanded in all caps, worker housing now. The 79-year-old physician owns a pair of mobile home parks just outside Ketchum and a rental cabin on a 28-acre ranch about 24 miles south of the city. After the tenant of the cabin announced she was moving out, Hoffman placed a rental ad in the local newspaper for $650 a month and received 85 phone calls in 48 hours. It went to the second person who called, so I had 83 more calls to field, he said. The doc saw it as an opportunity to galvanize more residents into fighting for affordable housing. Everyone I talked to after that said, what the hell are you doing to get this changed around here? What are you doing besides bemoaning the fact that we don't have housing? Are you going to meetings? Are you writing letters to the editor? Are you protesting? Are you picketing? Are you going down to Boise and haranguing the legislature who said Airbnbs and VRBOs are wonderful in resort communities? On Monday, Hoffman was busy doing his own roofing repairs at the mobile home park since he couldn't find construction workers who were immediately available. There's a lot of construction already. Everyone who's got a contracting uh, construction company is working to the max, Hoffman said. The mobile home parks are some of the area's only workforce housing where tenants pay an average of $550 a month, 
Many of Hoffman's tenants work in construction, landscaping, or basic clerical work, speak Spanish as a first language, and do the work nobody else wants to do, he said. Uh, People look at the park, and I have to say, my God, could you double your rents? People are working. They live there, Hoffman told us. Why would I do that if I don't need the money, and I don't? So there you go. End of the article. Um, KS, you have suggested uh, on a number of occasions on this show that the solution to affordable housing, at least in Hawaii, is opening up the availability to mobile home parks, uh, you know, trailer parks, as it were. Uh, So is the idea of tent city all that irresponsible of the city? No, the whole thing is boils down to two things. One, the regulatory control over what people are allowed to do on their own land. Uh, Well, I guess you could say a third thing, too, is the homesteading of public land. I mean, if it's public land, anyone should be able to homestead it. And a third thing is, um, you know, movement. You know, I've moved several times in my life to find a better situation. And rather than to bemoan a situation, uh, you know, people can move. But the first and foremost problem is that they're they're talking about zoning and regulations that prevent the uh, uh, the development of housing. I mean, it's a natural thing for people to, to find lots of solutions to housing problems, but it's usually city councils with their zoning laws and regulations that prevent all these alternatives. Mobile homes are the are the. I mean, one one person if they own the property, they ought to be able to. I uh, parcel it out and allow a whole bunch of uh, trailer homes to be uh, put in there right away. So in, in this case, I hear what you're saying. I don't know if I would have come to the same conclusion in this particular instance, because it sounds like uh, the rich people who own the land, right? Like the high rents that they're getting for their property uh, and don't want to put mobile homes on their property, um, but also don't want, them to be put on the public lands either so i don't know if it's i don't i don't know if while reading this article i I heard a complaint about private landowners being unable to develop it well did i miss that uh, it not allowing it to be not allowing it to be put on public lands too well that's treating the public lands as if it's theirs also that is true there there must be some uh people who would love to make a lot of money just by developing uh, their land, and they're prohibited by the rules and regulations. I mean, it only takes one to say, oh, okay, well, this um, uh, 500 acres uh, farm that it used to have here, I'm going to develop it. But it's usually some kind of rule or regulation that says you're not allowed to. Yeah. No, again, I, I hear you. Um, if if the, Another point about the, that was made there, that people ought to be able to rent out the rooms of their houses, uh, you know, for renting, uh, and convert uh, the garage into a room. I mean, if the price is, is attractive enough, a lot of people would like to do that. In Hawaii, yeah, Ohana housing, it's called. The government has a regulation saying, well, you can have in an extra room of your house a sink, a refrigerator, and a stove, or, or a stove. But you can have two of those three, but you're not allowed to have all three of them because then that would be a livable apartment. Right, and when my wife first heard about that, she says, "You know, and she's from China." She said, "Well, the <laughs> it, you were freer to do with your property uh, things in China than in here in Hawaii." <laughs> right. So let me let me reread this paragraph for you then, because I don't. I, again, I I hear what you're saying. I don't know if this is going to be the case in this instance, because it yeah. seems like they are able to do these things. They're just getting so much more rent 
um, from from short term rentals that it's the 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 locals in the area that are unable to secure these housing situations. So here's the paragraph. I'll reread it for you. The city's hands are tied because its taxing authority is limited. Uh, other hotspots for the uber rich Aspen, Colorado, enjoy a real estate transfer tax that Idaho lacks. So Idaho is unable to limit Airbnb, VRBO, and other short-term rentals because they passed some law limiting that in 2017. Uh, and I'm unable to link to that because I uh, uh, VPNs and whatnot. So it it sounds like they're saying, well, they they're limited because they were unable to tax, which means that it implies that the government's going to provide the affordable housing. But you don't need government to provide the affordable housing. You need the government just to stand back and let you provide it yourself. Right. Seems to me. Well, okay. So the the hot spots for like the uber rich Aspen, Colorado, they probably have a limit. The way I'm reading it is they have a limit on short term rentals. Where Idaho does yep. not. So if you own the if you own this nine hundred thousand dollar home in Idaho, right in this in this resort town, I guess um, mm. it behooves you to rent it. You know, a week at a time for a high price to people just passing through on vacation, right? And in doing yeah. so, the the you know the clerk down the street isn't able to rent out your room because they would want a long term lease, like a, you know at least a six months or a year lease. Uh, but you're not going to make as much money as that. So, so the the homeowners, the property owners in this case, seem to be fine with the situation because they're maximizing their rental income, right? The, the The reason they can charge as much in rent as they are is because they can get it, right? Which is why this one dude who you know lowballed the rent, right? You know, five hundred fifty dollars a month, uh, or however much he was charged six, yeah, six hundred fifty dollars a month. He puts the ad in the paper. That is so low that he gets 85 phone calls in 48 hours, right? To me, the, you know, the economic indicator was he's charging way too little. Like he could maximize his income by charging significantly more and doing less work because you don't have to answer 85 phone calls, you know, in two days. So the, the, it seems like, you know, the, that the, the city has their hands tied because the property owners, you know, have, have laws protecting them, you know, Take that with a grain of salt, if you will. Um, that and and the, and the property owners don't care because their value is being maximized, right? They they short term rent. They don't care, you know. As as the owner of the property, you know your your job is to just make money. You don't care, especially if you're not there full time, right? If you're not living in the city, like what do you care? If you know if if the the local waitress right lives in a tent, she has nothing to do with you at all. You're you're somewhere else in town. You're down in Florida enjoying Florida weather. Right. And then you come up to this, you know, once a year or whatever, but, but you own it. Um, yeah, but wait, uh, consider you said that, that, that waitress, uh, she's there and well, why is she there? Why didn't she just move away? You that know, is you an excellent question. People in Hawaii are leaving Hawaii as beautiful and wonderful as the climate and weather and all that is here. They're leaving Hawaii because, well, they can't find the jobs that make it satisfactory to live here. And yeah. so I don't, I don't understand why, the waitress is stuck there. I mean, I, I, I know that this is a phenomenon. People uh, like a place and they feel the problem is with the place, but there's lots of choices around the world. I mean, I don't just complain my employer doesn't pay me enough. If he, if he doesn't pay, pay me enough, I don't just continue on staying there and bitching about him. I, I find another job if it's not enough. You know, and I, so there's a, a bit on, this, on the part of all the 
the other people there too. Even if the government is terribly restrictive with their zoning and regulations, and if it's a if it's a tyrannical, uh, unpleasant place, why remain as a waitress there? So I mean, there's okay. lots all over the world to get jobs. Let, let me ask you this then. Do you accept the concept of the poverty trap? No, no. Not at all. So. Okay. Because, well, okay. So for, for me personally, then there's a high likelihood that I would have moved away from Hawaii a lot sooner than I did if I could have afforded to then to right? move, to move. Yeah. Like it, it was, yeah. it was not easy, um, to move from Hawaii, especially as far as I did to New Hampshire. Like that was, you know, I, uh, it basically came down to like, I got hit by a car and part of the insurance settlement gave me enough money to like make the move at the time where I could, you know, I could afford the, I could afford the moving, the moving itself. Right. And I could afford to be, I could afford, I, I, I was afforded the opportunity to land here in New Hampshire and then not have to work immediately so that I could take my time and get like a good job. Right. But if I had not gotten hit by that car, right in Hawaii, um, just like most people there, paycheck to paycheck, right? And yeah, you, you know, oh, I didn't, yeah. for a, for I a long you. time, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't spend right a lot of money on frivolities like I do now. Right? I had a small apartment. I was I was on the top ramen diet, right? Like because because that's what it took just to get by, right? Prepaid cell phone, no cable service, you know, just the bare basics for monthly expenses. And that barely made ends meet and sometimes didn't. So it's, so I guess when, when people say like, I can't afford to move, I can sympathize with that to an extent. Um, not that it's an excuse, but that it's an experience that people do have. So to say that oh, yeah. just move, it may not be as easy, especially when you're looking at these expenses. Oh, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, I understand what you're saying. And what that implies is that everybody's situation implies baggage, uh, a lot of belongings, uh, a lot of connections, a lot of uh, familiarity, things that is essentially baggage. In other words, you're, you're saying, what am I willing to let go of to make move possible? How, what is the priority of moving versus the baggage that I, that I want to hold on to? And, and baggage, it's, it's just a, um, you know, a, uh, a uh, figurative term um, because there's a lot of things that keep people tied into a place, friends and, and a lot of things. But, but also um, beyond the baggage that you're holding on to is also uh, connections, family connections. In other words, there was, I think most people in their life either build a lot of close relationships with family and friends or they don't build connections with family and friends. And part of that is the is your ability to take care of yourself in hard times. If you've got a lot of connections with family and friends and you explain to them, I, I need to move and I can't do it, I can't because I don't have the money. Family and friends, I think, if you've built the relationship, will pitch in and help out. In yeah. other words, their savings becomes your savings um, because they want to help. Uh, so there's this kind of dynamics in, in human condition. Yeah. As well. I mean, we, we talk a lot here in, you know, as part of the, in New Hampshire, as part of the free stake project about like, you know, the, the built in community that you move into. Um, 
but there's a lot of people that move, right? Don't integrate properly, fail financially, right? And end up moving back home because they have that family and friend structure available to them where they came from. Right. Right. So, right. you know, if, if you're, if you're born and raised in this town of Ketchum, right. And you're like, well, this, this is all I've seen. This is all I ever, I've ever known. Um, and then you move away, you, you're moving away from that support system as well. Yes. And that points to a very important aspect of the human existence. The fact that, I mean, it's an incentive for good behavior to be, um, nice and friendly and social with your family and friends because it builds this, this broader network of, of, of life for you. But if you're nasty and mean and, and uh, isolated from people, it comes at a cost to one's uh, uh, whole life. I think that that's why families that build good relationships with their their children, for example, the children want to take care of them when they get elderly and they can't do it anymore. Life b- breaks them down. So are, the, are there kids and family to help them? Or have they done everything to sever relationships with family and friends and therefore at the end of life when, when they wear down and, and uh, aren't as capable anymore, um, they've, they've given up all of those, those you might say, uh, social insurance uh, assists. Yeah. So, so I, I guess, again, if we, if we look at this as an individual issue, right? Like if you can't afford the housing in the town that you're in move, um, is this, is this housing crisis in the town of Ketchum really a big deal? Like, does it matter that the super rich bought up all the towns and now the, the locals, you know, uh, can't afford to live there? Is, is, is that just natural market activity or could that be natural market? Obviously there's some government intervention and some government problems, but is that just a situation where you go like, well, that's what happens, right? When the value is higher than you can afford, people who can afford it are going to maximize, right? Like it happened in San Francisco when, when, when the tech industry expanded, right? All of a sudden San Francisco locals were being outbid for, you know, local properties, by, you know, tech millionaires who just all of a sudden had the funds uh, to, to enjoy and live in San Francisco. Um, and if we you use that, that as an example, like look at the decline of San Francisco since then. Is that, you know, does that naturally follow? Go ahead. Yes, I think it's part of the pendulum. You, you remember in, the, in your article, there was a guy who tried to hire people to do work uh, in his business or something, and, and he couldn't find any. Yeah, well, couldn't find construction so, workers. Yeah, I mean... That comes home to roost in Hawaii, too. They say, well, if you keep raising the taxes, making it impossible for people to live here, you're not going to be able to find the talent that you need. And so, therefore, I think even those rich people with their you know, fancy estates are going to find that if they can't find somebody to do the groundskeeping and kind of somebody, I mean, if there's nobody around to do those things, either they have to pay enough to get somebody to make it worth their while, uh, or they have to go to the city council and say, Hey, we got to reevaluate the policies that the restrictions and zoning that has made it impossible for you to live here. Yeah. I mean, they there's a consequence um, when the shortage comes. So doesn't it, doesn't it behoove these super rich individuals to take care of them themselves? Like does the, does there, does this even require a government intervention or a town hall meeting or whatever, or does it just require, you know, the, the locals to start migrating out to greener pastures 
right? And that will that will drive up the labor cost, right? Or drive down the house values uh, because if there's no one doing the work in the area, um, no vacationers are going to want to stay there, right? Or pay as much to stay there. And so they're, they might meet a happy medium naturally with no, with no crisis or no intervention at all. Just a matter of waiting it out, I guess, and seeing where that pendulum swings. That's right. The migration and the activist um, uh, d- uh, dismantling of all these rules and regulations that make life, life difficult, those are solutions. Otherwise, it's just, it's just bitching, you know, and complaining and that that's that's not a solution. Well, it's it's easy to it's easy to bitch, right? For the for yeah. you know for the workers and the poor people, right? Because they have they they lack the access to the structures of power to really do anything about it, right? Like right. They, if they if if we reject the idea that they're going to uh, ask the city to step in and intervene, right? Their options are limited to well, I'm just moving away. And you can, you know, you can take your fancy town and have no one left to work in it, right? Like that's, that's the only, that's the only tool they have in their toolbox to fix this, to fix this problem. And, and you compare this to your other headlines issues about immigration. That's exactly the same thing that these people are facing in Honduras and Guatemala and everything too. Um, the rules and regulations, I. Uh, are so onerous and the guys who have power are very repressive. Um, they can either try to change the situation, which is extremely tough, or they can try and move. And the problem that the U S has put at the border is just making it harder for them to move, you know, to, to find some uh, place better. Yeah. Which, even Kamala or Guatemalan thing, right? Don't come. Don't come. Yeah. yeah Stay there. <laughs> all, all the rhetoric pre-election and now same old Trump policy. Exactly, and and you can't expect out of the Biden and Kamala uh, uh, Harris uh, administration any easing up of trade barriers, which would make it so much easier for people in those countries to uh, to earn uh, prosperity. Because because Biden is is a super protectionist, you know that's that's the solution staring at him. But they're not going to do the the real solution. Yeah. What else can you say? Um. Not much, I guess. We're we're just about reaching our limit here on time. Um, any more thoughts on this article? Hi, Maha. <laughs> uh, she is in the room, but she is not a speaker yet. So if she wants to yeah, speak and say hi, she can. It's good to see her face there. All right. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on the show? MC? Nope. All right. That'll do it then. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Uh, once again, if you want to get notified of when we're doing these shows live, we're doing it on Clubhouse, follow me personally for now until we get our own club, at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.